Well, I'm Jim Ludke, and this is... Debbie Ludke, his wife of 40 years, 40 plus years. And we've been here at Ridgewood since uh, January of 83. Whatever that math comes out to, I'm not sure. I would say we first came for our daughter and she was getting an upper elementary and we wanted to, or in elementary, and the church we were going to didn't have any kids. So we wanted to go to a church that had kids and had maybe couples our age. So 35 years ago or how many years ago, it was a big deal. So we came here and we found great people that would take care of our daughter. Jan Gerling took care of her the most in the childcare rooms and she just has lots of great memories about Krista. Uh, and then we fell in love with couples, it's couples that were our age and going through life together with kids. It was a very nice change from the very tiny church we came from. Krista was the whole Sunday School Department. <laughs> just about. <laughs> Why is it important to be thinking about the next generation? Uh, because we're kind of the departing generation. <laughs> you know, we're in we're in the last half of our lives. Uh, we're, Debbie's retired, I'm close to being retired, and Bill will be active in church and, and in, in leadership. Um, I think our, our prime time for that is, is kind of past, and it's, it's so vital that we develop younger leaders who can take on that role then for the next several decades. That was actually a hard transition in our minds, I think, together to realize that we're no longer the leaders. We are, in a way, still leaders, but just different. And so to take on that different role um, took a while. We were gifted with seeing some churches that didn't change that they were floundering and they were people were leaving and it just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And what we learned in their stories, and they weren't, we weren't attending their churches, but family members were. And we learned from them is that it is about the young people. They are the future. And if you want to develop and grow and be current and actually expand, it's about them. It is about them. So it's not like we don't have a role anymore. It's just really different which is just as life-giving as the one before, but it's just different. So it occurs to me also that um, it actually ties in with something that, that Chad talked about in our Boomers class maybe, maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I must have been listening that Sunday because he talked about leaving a legacy. And primarily, he was uh, focusing on, on his family or our families each individual one in these examples from his family. Um, but what is the legacy that, that we're leaving? Is it, here folks, this is, here's the rules, here's how you have to do things, we've got it all figured out. Or is it, we, we can learn from uh, the younger generation, we can, we can learn new methods, how to reach millennials or how to reach whatever the next generation is, and it's always keeping the focus on bringing people to Christ, not on the methods. Generosity and sacrifice. Well, I feel like they're the same, they're one coin, they're just different sides. So being generous may 
what are you giving up or what are you getting because of that? So I don't like to think about sacrifice. It's um, just reprioritizing things, rethinking things, rethinking things all things going to be. What a funny word, sacrifice. <laughs> Sounds sort of punitive. It's not. Well, I guess I was thinking somewhat along the same lines. Sacrifice does sound punitive, but once you have decided to do something where you're, you're giving up one thing for another, or maybe parts of some things for a greater thing, once you're in that mindset, it doesn't necessarily feel like a sacrifice. It may look like others may look at you and say, boy, you're sacrificing a lot. And you're saying, well, I guess so, if you're looking at it from that point of view. But it, it, it doesn't, it may feel like a hard sacrifice sometimes, and other times I think it just seemed like, this is, this is just what I need to do, be happy. I'm Jim Ludke. And I'm Debbie. And, and we're, we're illuminating, illuminating the, light the light of Christ. Christ. Wow, such beautiful hearts. And uh, as we um, just watch them shoot that video, just their um, love for Jesus and their concern for the next generation really came through. Um, it was really exciting. So thank you for doing that. Um, you have uh, your books that maybe you brought back that explain this Illuminate project. I'll talk about it in just a few minutes as well. Um, all the information is here. But today I want to direct you to page number 22 which is where we're going to land as we talk about Abraham and his life. So page 22 in this book, this will tell you all you need to know about that initiative. You know, it's really hard to do what Jim and Debbie were talking about. It's hard to put God first because we're naturally concerned about our own well-being. We want to control outcomes. But Abraham was learning how to trust God. He was learning that he could release his own desires and trust that God would fulfill his promises. And today we're going to see a section of the narrative where he and Lot, his nephew, came and were looking at two parcels of land. They were both wealthy men. They could buy this land. And by rights, Abraham should have gone first. Abraham should have grabbed the one that he wanted. That's the way the culture worked. He was the uncle. But instead, he let Lot choose first. And we're going to see today that Lot chose from a human perspective. He chose what he could see. He chose what he thought would be the best thing for him. But Abraham was able to stop and say, no, I don't need to choose because I believe in the promises of God. I believe that he will give us the land that he's promised. And today, as we look at this amazing passage, I want you to understand and begin to develop that freedom that comes with not having to hold on to things. When we believe in the promises of God, we can be generous. We can be free of selfishness. We can be free of fear. We can be free of control. And then we can just learn to love Jesus with an open heart, and to serve others. Denise talked about that time on November 11th when we're going to come together and we're going to make our pledges to our Illuminate Fund, which is to restore our building. 
and we're going to write a number down, a confidential number, and we're all going to have prayed about it, we're all going to be talking about sacrifice, but that number will reflect how we feel about God. Where are we with God? What is the most important thing in our lives? And today I want to hammer home the point that you can have freedom if you're willing to make God the most important thing. So take your Bibles, if you would, and just turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to begin in chapter 13 today, and we're going to start in verse 1. 13.1. If you want to grab that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, it's page number 9. You can also use the Ridgewood app and just follow the prompts and get there. This is such an amazing portion of Abraham's life that we're going to look at today. He still carries the name Abram at this point in the story. That will change in chapter 17. It would turn to Abraham, which means the father of multitudes or many. And of course, that refers to the covenant that God had made to him that through him, descendants would outnumber the stars. But for us today, he'll be Abraham because it's just more familiar and easier. And as we begin to look at this, we we know that he and Sarah were just back from Egypt. And it didn't go well in Egypt. And if you know this narrative, you know what happened. They got to Egypt. Abraham was afraid for his life. So he told Sarah, let's pretend that you're my sister. She was very attractive. And Pharaoh took her to be one of his wives. And when Pharaoh realized that she was actually married to Abraham, they got kicked out of Egypt. And guys, that's not the most loving thing to do for your wife. So here's Abraham, this flawed man, And where does he end up? He ends up at Bethel, a place called Bethel, which means the house of God, where he had met God before, after God had made that first promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And here he is praying, he is sacrificing, he's getting himself right with God, and we're going to see an amazing change from this this frightened man in Egypt to this man of faith here. So verses 1 through 4, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev, and now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so these first few verses talk about and reflect on the return of Abram to the place where he had met God the first time. And what is becoming really clear in these early verses is that Abram knew that he could trust God. And what a change from Egypt. But now we see in these events that he knew that he could trust God. This was a safe place for him, this place at Bethel, and it was a safe place for his family. And I ask you this morning, do you have a private safe place that you can go to and spend time with God? Do you have a place that you can get away from the distractions of life, where you can contemplate, where you can listen to God, where you can confess to God? 
Because I would argue it's very hard to make God the most important thing in your life if you're not taking the time to cultivate a relationship with Him. Because this idea of, of making God the priority of your life is not based on, it shouldn't be based on duty, but rather just a love relationship because you're finding out more and more about who God is in your life. Do you have that place? Abraham had found that place. It was in Bethel. And he had failed miserably in Egypt. But then he had gone and prayed and sacrificed. And he's preparing for this major decision that he would have to make. And he trusted God to give him what he needed. And as so often happens in life, it was a divinely wrought circumstance that forced the decision. Circumstances forced Abraham to make this important decision. What parcel of land would be his? Now, in the ancient world, wealth was measured by how many herds you have, gold and jewels. And Abraham and Lot both had an immense amount. But here's the problem. The land couldn't hold them both. Their herds could not graze on the same area because there wasn't enough. And so they had to separate, and they had to make a choice. Circumstances were forcing this decision. And we look at verses 5 through 7, we see that the relationship between Lot and Abraham was at risk. Verse 5, And Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So there's already some friction starting to happen. And to even make it worse, the Canaanites were there. They already had the best part of the land. The Perizzites were one of the several tribes living in Palestine, were usually listed along with the Canaanites. They occupied some of the best land. And so all of these herds couldn't coexist. Circumstances were forcing a decision. The question would be, is Abraham faithful enough? Does he have enough faith? Will he trust God to make the right decision? Would he put God first? And I find in my life that God constantly is bringing about circumstances that cause me to ask that question. Paul, what's really first in your life? Who are you really protecting? What are you willing to let go of? And usually it's some circumstances that are going on around me that force me to come to that decision because these kind of circumstances serve as catalysts for change. And we can choose to be static and just sit there or we can choose to move to where God wants us to move. And that's what Abraham was facing here. And I think this is really applicable to Ridgewood Church because we are at a different kind of crossroad right now. We're not maybe sitting in the desert in the Middle East looking over land, but we are at a time when we have this kind of friction between a building that is aging, 37 years old, and our desire to be a lighthouse to the community and to be a headquarters for sending people out and being an inviting place for families. And so those two things are coming together and we have to decide what to do. 
And we have to decide in some sense, are we going to move ahead or are we going to stay? And I think faith is part of this equation. And, and I'm excited, and, and, and the board and other leaders are excited about what might be there for us. And we're, and we're talking about things that are, 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 are really not luxurious at all, but just common sense kinds of things that need to happen, like a clean and safe children's area, a place where our kids can check in, and then only one person can check them back out, the right person. And if yesterday ever showed us the need for heightened safety, it's that kind of thing. I'm thankful for our security and public safety crew that run around here because they've got eyes and they're watching, and so I'm really thankful for that. But this is so good, clean and safe children's area. I'm excited about a safe and redesigned parking lot. We don't talk about that very much, but I've seen you walk out after church on Sundays, and I think, Lord... Don't let them fall, because everybody is just kind of skating down to their cars. And at night, you can't see anything. And so that's a big deal. Safe, redesigned, new, lighted. I'm excited about that elevator that we've talked about. Our elevator's breaking, so we need a new, bigger one that can accommodate wheelchairs, and that we can bring things up from the lower levels back and forth. I'm excited about clean bathrooms, larger bathrooms, that can accommodate more people and can accommodate those with disabilities. Sensory rooms. And to top it off, a, a refreshed lobby that is opened up where we still have a cafe, but we can, we can gather there and fellowship and even have dinners of 300 people right there in our lobby area. Now, do, do we have to have this for God to work in our fellowship? No. God can do whatever He wants. But we do have a responsibility over this building. And so we are at a crossroads. Things are breaking. And we have to decide what does faith look like for Ridgewood Church. Just like Abraham was having to decide what faith looked like for him. He had to decide whether he would put God first. He had just come out of Egypt, failed miserably, got himself right with God, realized that the two of them couldn't coexist, so what would he do? But look in verses 8 and 9, and we'll see. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. They were relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. What an unselfish act. But it goes to trust. Abraham knew that God had promised land. And he knew that God would keep that promise, and so he was free to say to Lot, take what you want. I'm okay with that. And what did Abraham do with his faith? He deferred to Lot, his, his nephew, Positionally, this was Abraham's decision to make. He was the uncle. In this culture, the elder always went first. So Lot wouldn't have even challenged that. But Abram saw his relationship with Lot as something worth saving, something valuable. And so he put his trust in God. 
And interestingly enough, land again becomes the center of the narrative. That promise of land and seed and blessing through the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham is banking on the promises of God. And that's vital for you to understand it, to understand this narrative. And this is probably the most extreme test of faith that Abraham has faced to date. Because if Lot chose the best portion, then where would that land come from that God had promised? And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to see that same kind of decision-making process with Isaac. And so he's deciding. This is about total trust. It's about all-in faith. And Abraham comes through. He does have faith. He does believe in the promises of God. And a person who believes in the promises of God and the provision of God doesn't have to cling to things, doesn't have to control, doesn't have to have the best. Because that person trusts in God's provision. And it may not look like ours. I have a friend who used to say, God is rarely early, but he's never late. And so sometimes he pushes you right to the edge and says, do you trust me? Abraham trusted. And the ramification of this kind of living is huge. We don't have to cling to the way we want life to work. If our kids get up with our grandkids and leave town, and we're saddened by that, but we can say, that's okay, because God will provide. Jim mentioned retirement in that video. Many of you here are, are, are coming up on that age or have already retired, and you're, and you're concerned about money. You're concerned about how, how you're going to live, and we all have that legitimate concern. But if we're believers, we can say God will provide for us. Even if, if our church begins to look different and we have people coming to our church that we don't know and we have to make adjustments for that, and we're kind of saddened by that because this has been our home church for so long, we can trust that God will provide what we need to make those adjustments. Abraham was able to be kingdom-minded because he trusted that God was going to give him that land regardless of what Lot did. We don't have to cling to anything. Jesus made this very clear as he told us in Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable than they? Of course you are. You're made in the image of God. He is going to be there with you. Do not be anxious about your life. Abraham invites, God's into, he invites God into his life through faith. And now he's able to be generous to Lot. He trusted. Even though he had failed, now he's back trusting. And God would just walk with him through all of these failures. And he was, priori he was prioritizing his life. And here what he was really doing as he was generous to Lot is that he was choosing God above himself. This was a choice for him. He could have said, Lot, wait a minute. I want that piece, and you can have that. You'll be fine over there. If you need anything, come and ask. No, he chose based on trust. 
And if you look at 10 through 12, you see this stunning turn of events. Abraham was trusting the promises of God, but Lot is contrasted with Abraham. He's choosing based on what looked good to him through his worldly eyes. Verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zor. And of course, this was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Uh Uh-oh. That word Sodom shakes us up a little bit, doesn't it? Because we know what happens. But here's the contrast. Abraham was acting spiritually. Lot was choosing based on human instincts. Abraham was waiting on God. Lot was grabbing for what he could get. And it was going to cost him big time. But Abraham's faith kicked in during the conflict. You see, Lot walking by sight simply looked and chose what he thought looked best to him. The Jordan Valley was was lush, even compared here to the Garden of Eden. But that decision was short-lived. It was a dangerous decision. It wouldn't be long before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and Lot lost his wife. Over here, you have the uncle who is walking by faith and in generosity and trusting God for his plan. He was thinking through spiritual eyes. And he didn't have to be greedy. He didn't have to be anxious. He didn't have to be covetous. He just trusted. So Lot chooses. Abraham must have said to himself, well, that looked like the best one. But God, it's you and me now. You said so. And that's a beautiful way to live. So as we define Ridgewood's journey It goes far beyond money. What we're really doing during this period of time, regardless of the outcome, is we're learning to ask these important questions about our life. What is the most important thing? What are our priorities? Are we stuck in this world, or can we see through spiritual eyes and trust that God will give us exactly what we need? And I think what we need at Ridgewood and what we so often need in our lives but we're afraid to ask for are miracles. Abraham was literally asking God for a miracle. The best land's being taken away, God, but you're good for your promises. And so I wonder if you would join me and pray for Ridgewood miracles. Now, we already see the lanterns, and, and Wendy already told you about the, about the latest people to be saved and have their, their, their lantern. We've got 45 out of 52 up here now. We're praying for 52. We're already at 45. God's ahead of schedule. And, and, and this, one of these here that, that she told you briefly is, is Connie and Paul. And Connie's the lady who woke up in the morning and said, you know, I feel like God's prompting me to do something. And she said, I, I'm going to drive to church but 
I'm going to go to a different gas station than normal. She didn't really understand why. She said she got up, she kind of drove to this gas station, and it looked funny to her because it was no longer a Super America. It was called Speedy Gas, I guess. Is that what they are now? Speedy? What kind of name is that? Anyway, so she thought, am I even in the right place? So she said she almost backed up and left. But then she, felt, she just felt this prompting to go inside and see what was going on. And just then, this guy comes in. He'd been walking for a long time. He was, he was out of sorts. He was anxious. And she just said, hey, how about if we just go outside? And they went outside. He calmed down. He be, she began to minister to him. She offered him a ride to the bus depot. The buses weren't running because it was Sunday morning. She said, how about we go to church? And somewhere in that loop between that time and church, she was sharing the gospel with him, and he came to know Christ. She brings Paul to church, and he connects with one of our guys, and now we're going to see if we can disciple him into a deep and lifelong faith. That's what happens. That's what these lanterns represent. You know, we're not just doing it so we can count. These are people that are going to heaven now. So we're praying for 52 of them. We're praying that we might be able to plant 10 churches by 2025. That sounds crazy, but already things are starting to happen that leads us to believe we might be able to pull that off. And then here's the big thing to pray for regarding this Illuminate project is the money we need to do this thing. And we've put out a number that looks really big for a church our size. But we believe that God can do whatever he wants. We have people here praying for $10 million. Think, $10 million? What? $10 million would allow us to take all the stuff that we want to do. It would allow us to take our general budget and make sure it's, it's what we need it to be, and we could do the whole thing cash and carry. No banks, no loans, $10 million. So I'm praying for that. Now, I'm not sitting in the throne room of God, so I don't get to weigh in on the answer to that prayer, but I believe that God can do it. And I think Abraham believed that God could do it because he was counting on a miracle here as Lot chose the best land. So I'm choosing to trust. Will you pray with me that God would do these miracles? If we pray together, this can happen. Abraham trusted God enough to let go of his own desires. He didn't take the best land for himself. He chose to put God first. And then we just see at the end of this portion of the narrative that Abraham's faith, his faith-filled decision was honored by God. In 13, we see Lot's selfish decision that it would reap dire consequences. Look at 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And we know where that goes. But in 14 through 18, we see God's rewarding Abraham with the reiteration of the promise. 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your, high, your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. 
So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. They make this decision, Lot leaves, and immediately God steps in and says, don't worry, look around, I'm going to give you the whole thing. And then he said, and by the way, just get up and walk through it. Let's enjoy this moment together. And then we end up just where we started. Abraham's at an altar, worshiping the Lord. It's an amazing sequence of events. And I believe that God will reward our faith. He may not do it monetarily. We may have to wait till heaven. That's God's thing. But he will reward, and he rewarded Abraham immediately. So I wonder this morning if we can just, in my own life, I pray this for me and for you. Can we be like Abraham? Can we give our best to God? Can we put him first? Can we think more about kingdom growth than we are about our own selfish preferences and desires and the need to control and the need to have our security Those are hard questions. Now, as we come up on Commitment Sunday, I want you to pray. I want you to pray individually and corporately. You can come here on Wednesdays if you want to pray with a few people. I saw some walking the campus the other day. Pray individually and corporately. If we don't pray, we have no chance. Then on November 11th, it is Commitment Sunday. Both services. This is when we will take these pledge cards. There's a copy of one in your book And you'll fill this out, and you'll just drop this in a box. No one will know except for our financial secretary. But that number will reflect a lot. And we'll come together and do that as a church family. Then that evening, Denise mentioned, is a Team Ridgewood dinner. This is free, but it needs to be RSVP'd. We're not going to know what we have then. But we're going to celebrate because we're going to know God has given us what he wants to. And then just down here, you'll see this little remark. Reveal Sunday on December 2nd. This is the Sunday that we're going to be able to tell you how much actually we have in pledges. December 2nd. Because I know that you're going to want to know like right now. How are we doing? How are we doing? What's happening? Got to give us a chance to collect them all and make sure that everything's in order. And then on December 2nd, we're going to come together and we're going to praise God for what he has given us. So Abraham is letting Lot choose first. He's exercising his faith. He's putting God first, and now he's free to be generous and to walk with God. Will you just take a moment and bow your head and pray and ask God to be the most important thing in your life? And then I will close. God, there are so many, so many distractions coming at us. There are so many things that call for our attention, so many competing priorities, so many things that we want, so many things that we're convinced that we need. But God, will you please just teach us to walk with you in confidence and faith so that we will know that in the end you'll give us what we need.
Help us to walk in freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the need for security. Freedom from the need to be applauded by other people. Just to be free and trust that you are good for your promises. Help us to have the right priorities. Because, Lord, we need the kingdom to grow. We need people to come in contact with the gospel. You are the only hope for our world. And so just help us to learn to prioritize you as the most important thing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.